morning, I want to talk to you about our relationships. And there are certain things in life um, that are really just kind of mind-boggling. And I would, I would put relationships in that category. Relationships can be just this awesome thing. They can be a source of joy and happiness and life. And at the same time, they can be a source of, of heartache and struggle and drama. So what are we supposed to do when our relationships go sideways? What are we supposed to do when people that we care about start making really bad decisions? So I thought I would start, we'd kind of go um, from the reverse. I wanted to take a look at the top three ways to not, to not handle relational difficulties. Okay, got that? This is not how to handle relational difficulties. First one. First one. Silent treatment. We just shut the other person out. Somebody hurts us, making bad decisions. We don't say anything. It's on them. They need to figure out what they did wrong. If they can't figure it out, that, that's an even bigger problem. They should be able to read my mind and, and tell, me, tell me what's going on. That's number three. The second way not to handle relational difficulties is the transitive treatment, also known as gossip, right? So if somebody does something that upsets me, instead of going to them, I go and I tell somebody else. So instead of just two people being upset with each other, maybe there's three or four people that are all upset with each other and bent out of shape. And the number one way not to handle a relational difficulty, and this is my least favorite, is the social media treatment. You post something online anonymously, you vent, you say what you wanna say, vent to the world, you don't have to have a difficult conversation, but every one of your friends and followers on social media thinks you're mad at them, right? That's the number one way not to handle a relational difficulty. We have alternatives. We don't have to go down any of those unhealthy roads. You see, if we look at the big picture, the reason that our relationships go sideways with each other is because that our relationship with God is broken. And that breaks our relationships with each other. But if we look at the way that God set out to mend our relationship with him, he gives us a path to how we should mend our relationships with each other. Or more simply put, in mercy, we pursue those who have wronged us or are struggling in the same way that Jesus pursues us. So we're gonna take a look at our road sign for this week, the series we called Road Signs. It's this little verse hidden in the middle of Matthew chapter 18. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. But what we need to do, is that's one verse. That's chapter 18, verse 15 in the book of Matthew. We need to look at all of chapter 18 to get an understanding of what, of what that really means. And as we, as we go through this, it, chapter 18 has two kind of major themes. It's like 30-some-odd verses, right? And one of the major themes is God's mercy, and the other one is our response to God's mercy. And way back when, almost a year ago, I gave you a definition of God's mercy when we were in the James series. And it was this, God's mercy is forgiving, loving, kindness, and generosity that has all the tenacity of a mother bear and the depth of an ocean. 
And the passages that surround that little verse, we get, uh, Jesus tells us more and more about what God's mercy is like. So we take a look. This is um, Matthew 18. I think it's verses 12 through 14. It's a pretty famous passage. It's called, you know, the 99 or the 1. And it says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. In a nutshell, what those verses tell us is that God's mercy is active. God's mercy will pursue us. God is not content to have almost everybody. He wants everybody. At the, he'll leave the 99 and he'll go chase down the one that's lost its way or that has intentionally wandered off. And here's something really interesting. Um, the fact that the Bible regularly compares us to sheep should give us pause, right? Because sheep are not smart animals. Sheep, so if you guys are into fact-checking, I would ask somebody to fact-check me on this because I tried to find the original story and I couldn't. A couple weeks ago, I heard somebody um, reference a, a sheep. One sheep wandered off a cliff in a herd of like 1,500 sheep, and then another one followed it, and another one followed it. The whole herd went off the cliff because one sheep walked off the cliff. Side note, the last 400 or so survived because they all landed on the the other sheep that hit first. But the fact of the matter is God goes after for the one for the sake of the one, but he goes after the one for the sake of the 99. Right? If somebody goes astray in a group of people, it's really easy to be like, oh, hey, what are they doing? I'm going to go follow them. Before you know it, there's a big pile of them in the bottom of a cliff. God's love is active and he pursues us. This idea of a shepherd we find all throughout the Bible and God comparing himself to the shepherd, we are the, we are the sheep. Unfortunately, I think some well-meaning artists over the course of history have kind of distorted our image of Jesus as a shepherd. Um, so this picture is Jesus holding a little, little sheep, little lamb. And I'm like, I want to take that lamb and like, get away from Jesus. You look like you're going to hurt Jesus. This is like really fragile looking Jesus. Like he shouldn't be messing with with wild animals because he's going to get hurt. That's not Jesus as the shepherd, right? So throughout history, some artists have continued on and they've painted a little bit of a better picture. This is Jesus is a little more action going on. He's actually going after the sheep. And the, the one to, to my left looks like Jesus actually got some definition. He's a little jacked. He's reaching down. He's a little worried if both of them are going to make it. That gives us a little bit more of a picture of the idea of a shepherd going after a lost sheep. Jesus tells a story in another, uh, in another one of the Gospels. This is John 10, verses 10 and 11. I asked you to memorize the first part of this a couple weeks ago. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God's mercy is actively pursuing us. Jesus goes after what's stolen and wants to return it. Jesus goes after the victim, the potential victim of murder, right, and rescues it. Jesus goes after that which the enemy wanted to destroy and rebuilds it. 
right? I did an alliteration. I don't like to do alliterations. It just happened, right? Jesus returns what was stolen. He rescues the potential victim of murder. He rebuilds what was destroyed. His mercy is not passive. It's active. And as I was thinking about it, um, I don't, if you know the movie Taken, you might appreciate this. If not, it, it's still a pretty good definition. Um, I think a better image, like if we think about the original audience, whenever you look at scripture, you think of how the original audience would have heard what Jesus had to say. I think this is more the vibe they would have gotten than that sheep and that's going to hurt Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus comes after us, and he will not stop until he gets to us. God's mercy is active. His mercy is also endless. So there's this story of the 99 and the one sheep, right? And then there's Jesus' instructions on how to restore relationships in verses 15 through 17. Right after Jesus' recommendations for how you restore a relationship, Peter asks Jesus a question. Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus just finished teaching about forgiveness and going after and, and chasing people down. And Peter just want to know, like, okay, what's the bare minimum that I have to do here? Like, how, how, do I have to keep doing this? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus then goes right into a story to help illustrate this point. There's a story of a master, and his servants owed him a bunch of money. And one particular servant owed him 10,000 bags of gold. This is in, in Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles open, you can, you can follow along with me. One of his servants owed him 10,000 bags of gold. So culturally, in that moment, a bag of gold was the highest denomination of money. In ancient Greek math, 10,000 was their highest number. They didn't have a number higher than 10,000. The debt was basically unpayable. No matter what that servant did, he would not be able to pay the debt. Even abiding by some of the common practices of the day, right? If somebody was in debt, they could sell their family into, into slavery until they paid that debt off. It's kind of like collateral. But that wasn't even enough to pay off the debt. So what does the master do? The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. Who does that? That would be like if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, you know that mortgage payment you make every month? You're good. Don't worry about it. I just took care of it for you. But like tenfold, the debt was unpayable. God's mercy is is endless. Let's think about the, the master that is able to do that. that. The person who's able to forgive that unpayable debt doesn't need anything. He didn't need the money back. The person who's able to forgive that unpayable debt cares more about the relationship with the person than the debt. The master that's able to forgive that debt is 100% for the person who's indebted. That's our God. That's the God of the Bible. His mercy is active and his mercy is endless. Seven times 70, no matter how many times, no matter how much. Right? It's not this 
um, this story, this master, it's not like a one-and-done deal. Like this servant owed him 10,000 bags of gold. He forgave the debt. What led right into that? Seven times 70. You keep forgiving. It's all the forgiving. It's all the mercy. God's mercy towards us is active and it's endless. The active, endless mercy of God finds its ultimate expression in the person and the work of Jesus. You see, we each owed God a debt that we could not pay. We simply could not pay it. And in our place, Jesus paid that debt. The wrath and the justice, which should have rightly been poured out on us, was poured out on Jesus on the cross. He allowed himself. He willingly went to the cross, was tortured, and was brutally murdered, and took the punishment, paid the debt that each one of us had. He did that so we would know, so we would experience, so we would understand the depth of the mercy that God has for us. You guys, this, the, the rest of our time, we're going to spend figuring out how we respond to that mercy. This mercy should be celebrated. It should be shared with people. It should be taken to the farthest extent that we have the ability to. And one of the ways that scripture tells us to do that is just to sing, to have a good time, to celebrate the goodness of God. So that we're going to take the next few minutes, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate God's mercy in song. You pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you chase us down. Thank you that there is nothing that you wouldn't do to pour your mercy out for us. Thank you that you held nothing back. We thank you that you stepped out of heaven and you took on flesh and you allowed yourself to receive our punishment. God, we thank you so much. Lord Jesus, I pray that each person right here, right now, would know that mercy. They would feel that mercy. Holy Spirit, that you would just fall on each person in this room and that mercy would be so, so real. Lord Jesus, we can't wait to see what you're going to do in our time. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Thank you, guys. So, God's mercy. So we spent the first half of our time thinking about, concentrating on, focusing on, responding to. That response, that's, that's the rest of our time together. Um, if one of the things that I love, I mean, I love a good old-fashioned paper Bible, but one of the things I really, really love about a Bible app is the little settings feature. I use BibleGateway.com a lot, and there's a little gear in there and you click on the gear, and you can turn off the headings and the cross-references and the um, footnotes and all of that stuff. And you get a little bit better look at what Matthew probably wrote, right? Matthew didn't put in those fancy little pithy headings in there. So <clears throat> we think about Matthew chapter 18. It's one teaching. God's mercy, our response. Our responses in verses 1 through 5. Jesus encourages us to approach him like little children with the humility, the vulnerability, the dependence of little children. That's how we respond. We respond in humility. In verses 6 through 10, he encourages us to respond 
by doing whatever we have to to remove sin from our lives, right? That clenched fist is a clenched fist of pride saying, no, I got this, God. This one isn't yours. This one's on me. His hands are stained by the sin that we just accumulate as we go through life. And Jesus encourages us in light of God's mercy to come before him and to open up that clenched fist and to wash our hands in Jesus' mercy so we can receive his mercy. Right? Because that's the last part of the response is we have to share that mercy with other people. And we can't share something we don't have. Those two things, humility and holiness, are so important that they're going to get their own sermons coming up. We're going to do humility next week. And in a couple weeks from now, as we jump into our Character of God series, we're going to do a whole morning on the holiness of God and how God calls us to be holy like he is holy. So that leaves the last part. And it brings us back to our road sign for this week. We pursue humility, we pursue holiness, and we pursue restoration and reconciliation of our relationships. We're going to look at the, at the specific verses, but what's important before we jump into those verses is that Jesus um, never instructs us, never asks us to do anything he hasn't already done or he isn't doing. Now, as we look at this process... I want you to think about the gospel story, what Jesus did, right? Jesus humbled himself. He, he stepped out of heaven, came to earth, put on flesh, lived a human life, and he died for us. He humbled himself for us. Then he shows up and he says, hey, you guys, you got a big problem, but I'm bringing the solution with me. Here's the solution respond to it. What are you going to do about it? And that's exactly the process that he lays out for us in verses 15, 16, and 17. That's what we're going to look at right now. Verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. All right, word go is highlighted. So if you have been around for the series on Matthew and you're paying attention, when we did Matthew chapter 5, there was another go, another go instruction, and it was go and be reconciled. However, that time, the go was directed to the offender, the person who did the wrongdoing. If you hurt somebody, you go and initiate reconciliation. Now Jesus is telling us, if your brother or sister sins against you, you go. It's both. Reconciliation and restoration. They're trademarks of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. That's who he is. That's what he offers. That's what we need to be about. Restoration and reconciliation through the mercy of God. Second part of that verse, just between the two of you. This is for, this is for two reasons, right? Well, it's, it's one reason, but two facets of it. To protect against gossip. Right? I showed you those things at the, at the beginning in an attempt to be funny, but also to make a point. Just between the two of you, if, if you go directly to that person and nobody else is involved, you protect them, right? If they did something wrong, nobody else needs to know about it. You don't need to share that with anybody else. You go to them and you say, hey, you did X, Y, and Z, and, and you talk it out and you work through it instead of going to person, a third person and bringing them into it because you don't want to do anything else to set that person down a bad path. The other thing it does is it protects the community. 
right, if I do something that upsets Brittany, and she, instead of coming to me, she goes to Angelo, well, now Angelo's mad at me. And then Angelo's going to tell David, and then David's going to be mad at me, right? And the, before you know it, everybody's mad at me, and we don't need that. <laughs> I don't need that. It protects both the individual, the person who's done wrong or is going down a bad path, making bad decisions, and it protects the community. That's why just between the two of you. If that works, fantastic. If not, Jesus got a plan B. But if they will not listen, take, or two other, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. These witnesses are not witnesses to the, uh, the original uh, infraction, if you will. They are witnesses to your attempts at reconciliation. I suggest you bring along one or two other people who are mutually trusted, people who have some wisdom, people who have been walking with Jesus for a while and can hear objectively and can maybe even offer a correction in the midst of a conversation to try to help smooth things over. It's an Old Testament practice that there needed to be witnesses before any sort of um, allegation or anything could be made. Again, it's to protect the individual, it's to protect the, the community. All right, plan C. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. So the church, in, in this case, is like um, myself as a pastor, the elders of the church, uh, your ministry leader. So if you've done these other steps, right, if you've gone directly to the person and you try to work it out, nothing. You brought in some other trusted friends and you try to work it out, nothing. Right? Then you come to one of us and we try to sit down together and work through it. The whole time, bearing in mind, this is about God's mercy and sharing God's mercy with someone who's done wrong or who's making bad decisions. If it still doesn't work, they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Pagan, somebody who doesn't know God, a tax collector, somebody who probably knows God, but is like willfully, willfully rebelling. What did we spend the first 15 minutes talking about, right? Jesus pursuing the people who have gone and wandered off, either intentionally or unintentionally. Jesus chases after the wanderer. Jesus chases after the person making bad decisions. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came for people who don't know him so that they could be restored to him. That's the heart Right? When we enter into the process of restoring relationships, of trying to help somebody get back on the path of walking with Jesus, we have to do that with that same heart that Jesus has, with that same mercy that God pours out all over us, and so it would flow out onto other people. Let me say this about um, the treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. There are those who would take this as a mandate to engage in a witch hunt. Right? That's not what this is. We, we would do far more harm to Jesus' church and to his name looking at this as like, oh man, I just got to keep my eyes open for anybody who's doing anything wrong and I got to go after them and get them kicked out. That's not what this is saying. Right? This is not about vindication or vengeance or retribution. This is about God's mercy flowing through us to someone else in the hopes of restoration and reconciliation. Are we tracking? Yes? Okay. Um, so, before you do this, 
Look at all of chapter 18 in context. Do not proceed if you, if you have any feeling other than mercy in your heart for the person that you're going to talk to, don't proceed. If you feel like you have the moral high ground and you need to right a wrong, do not proceed. If you feel like you need to defend God, somebody needs to do God a favor and, and take care of the situation, don't proceed. If you feel like the other person really needs to be taught a lesson and you're just the person to do that, just stop. None of that stuff feels, is, resonates, is merciful. It's all self-centered. It's not about the other person. If, however, you are at a point in your life, in the sequence of time, where you have come before God and you've opened up your hands and you're doing what you know how to do to confess the sin that you're in your own life, you come before Jesus in humility. If you are pursuing holiness, if you're doing everything you can to make sure you are tracking with God, not because that's how we earn God, but because we've already got God through the gift of Jesus and we want to be more like him. Right? I, I said it before. Bible says, be holy for I am holy. That's God talking to us. If your heart has been broken by or is breaking for the other person, pursue them. Go after them. Share God's mercy with them. If your hope and your prayer is that person would be restored to the fullness that God has for them, that they would become the person that God created them to be, then engage in this process. It's not easy. These conversations are hard. Like these are, these are the kind of conversations that people lose sleep over. That's why if we approach them with anything short of God's mercy, it's a bad idea. We've been calling this series Road Signs. And we have been blessed with the Bible. Digitally, paper, however, God has given it to us. And these road signs are clear to us. He gave them to us for our good and for his glory. Here's the thing, though. Most of the world, some of the, the statistics that, that Scruff shared earlier, most of the world does not even open up the Bible, regardless of whether they think it's true or not. They don't even open it up. So here's the thing. Now, we, you and I, are the road signs. How we handle our relationships will either point people to Jesus or it will point people away from Jesus. We can take God's mercy and let it flow through us to other people, and we can show a world that desperately needs mercy, what that means. And that's part of what life with Jesus is all about. Or we can continue in the way the world conducts its relationships in a self-centered way, and just reinforce those bad, unhealthy habits. Lots, lots of stuff. I hope um, I, hope I did a, just a smidgen of, of what I could to, you would understand the weight and feel God's mercy. 
and that it would, you would understand your ability to let mercy flow through you to other people who are broken or are hurting or are struggling or have screwed up. What I, I wanted to do, I wanted to take the, um, the balance of our time and just to kind of, in our crazy thousand mile an hour life, just take some time. Right, we're going to play some music in the background and there are going to be some images and words that go by on the screen. And I just want you to think for a while. I want you to think about God's mercy. I want you to think about where you are. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you have never experienced God's mercy before. All you felt is the weight of, of shame and condemnation and no one has ever shown you mercy before. Maybe this morning you got a glimpse of the mercy of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been walking with Jesus for a while, but you've tripped up, you've wandered off, you've done some stupid things, and you need his mercy anew. The Bible tells us his mercies are new every morning. They're here for you. Maybe you're here this morning, and you are tracking with Jesus, and you're approaching him in humility, and you're pursuing holiness, but there's somebody in your life that needs God's mercy. So take your time with this, right? So I want you to, around the room, there are four stations set up, four tables, and there are little cards with uh, hearts on them, and there are pens. So maybe it's you that needs God's mercy this morning. Just write your name on that heart, stick it in your pocket, take it with you. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's somebody who God's mercy needs to flow through you to them. You write their name down on that heart, and you stick it in your pocket, and you keep it as a reminder. And so you guys do me a favor. It's, it's not even 11 o'clock yet. Take your time. Just be still. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you, speak to you, move you. And then when you're ready, you can get up and you can fill out one of those, fill out one of those cards. And then I'll get back up and I'll close this with a word of prayer.